Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Just a, a few things. I, I, I love the testimonies um, because testimonies are always about what God has done. And uh, so often what God does is it's just in answer to our prayers. We ask and God just does it, you know, like he did for Wendy, you know. And, it, and like she said, it wasn't like even serious, like travailing intercession or anything. It was just she prayed and she just poured out her heart to God and God answered it. And another thing that sort of came out to me just from, from the words and, and so on and also from intercession this morning is uh, what, what Rudy was sharing, you know. Often God does the miracle when you're in the situation, when you're in the trouble. We, we try and avoid the trouble, we try and avoid the cow. <laughs> but God protects us from the cow when, when he's on top of us, <laughs> in a sense. Um, and that's exactly what, um, what James 1 said that Sunet uh, read. You know, it's, you know, we can't avoid trials. It, it's unrealistic and even unbiblical to think we can avoid trials. But we can trust God in the trials to protect us and to actually through the trials, work a greater maturity and a greater Christ-likeness in us. And then um, something else um, that I just want to um, highlight again is um, on the 9th of September, like you saw on the announcements, um, Shofar Band is coming and they're going to do a CD launch here. And, um, you know, it's such a privilege to be able to worship the Lord together and experience His presence together. And that's actually a big part of what I'm going to be sharing about this morning. Um, just about God's presence. If you look at the beginning, so remember, just on the 9th, not morning service here, but morning service, same time, 9.30, in Santon, at Kiro Ravonia. Let's all please be there, and let's invite friends. It's going to be awesome. Um, one of the reasons why we want to do it is um, this, the, the windows and stuff here are very perforated, so when we loud... We kind of disturb the neighbors, and they've, they've complained a few times. So we want to sort of, you know, take them into consideration, and we want to be loud on the ninth. Uh, we don't want to hold back in worship. So we're going to do it in, in Kuro, and we're going to just have, a, you know, no neighbors around, you know, to, to, to bother. So we're just going to have a, a really good time. So please come and join us there. But if you look at the beginning and the end of the Bible, God's presence is with his people. He's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. In the beginning of the Bible, at the end of Revelation, the Holy City of Jerusalem comes down and God says, I'm going to be in their midst. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. And, and just this theme of God's presence. And I, I want to just read a portion from Second Samuel 6 where, where it talks about this theme from verse 1 to 16. You know, and we, we, have a, we were made for God's presence. As human beings, God created us to be like Him and to be near Him in His presence. That's what God created us for. We have a, we have a need for God's presence. And even modern, secular, very secular, postmodern people register that need, you know. So we, you know, last couple of decades, you know, it's you know, sort of been popular to say, you know, I don't believe in God, you know, I'm not religious, I'm, I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic. Now, all of a sudden, it's, it's shifting where people are saying, well, I'm not religious and, you know, I still don't know if I believe in God, but I, 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 I want to be spiritual because I register a need for the spiritual. 
and many, even people, secular people who don't understand it, register that need of, you know, just empty secularism is not enough. They, they, we have a need for, for something. And, and, and many people don't know that it's a need for God's presence. But that's what it is. We have a need for God's presence. So this is a story of David bringing back the ark to Jerusalem. And the ark obviously representing the presence of God. So let's read from Second Samuel 6. I'm reading from the NRV. And it says, um, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. That's a lot of men. And all his men set uh, out for Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because, he, because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the, Lord, because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? And was, How can the presence of God ever come to me safely? Verse 10 says, He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. For three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, da- now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of, uh, household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, they sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. While uh, he was, sorry, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpet. Of, uh, of trumpet, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And uh, just three things I want to lift out. I want to try and do this in less than half an hour because we had nice lots of testimonies. So I'm going to try and um, cut my message short. But just three things I want to lift out from this passage are, number one, uh, the need for the ark. Number two, the danger of the ark. And number three, the the gospel of the ark. So let's let's just look at this. The, The ark of the covenant was a wooden box. Um, with the tablets of the Ten Commandments in it. And this wooden box was overlaid with gold. And it had two cherubim, which are two angels, facing outwards away from one another with their wings spread out over the lid of the box, which was called the mercy seat. And once a year, uh, this, this Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. 
the inner room of the tabernacle. And, and only once, that it was the only piece of furniture in that room. Nothing else was in that room, only the Ark of the Covenant. And, and the only person who could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. And only once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, and then he'd take blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat to make atonement for the people of God. So this is like um, a really sacred object which represents the presence of God and in a sense carried the presence of God. Um, so it re- represents the presence of God amongst his people. So why do we need the ark? In other words, why do we need God's presence? Well, the first thing is it brings, in a sense, God's blessing. Um, think about it this way. I mean, there are many other examples I can, I can give, but... but when the Israelites crossed into the Promised Land, when they went through the Jordan, it was when the Levites, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, stepped into the Jordan River and got their feet wet. Then the Jordan dried up, and they could cross over in dry land. So the Ark went before them. And then when they went through and they came to Jericho, it was once again the Ark of the Covenant being carried in front of them. Seven days around Jericho, and the seventh day they went around seven times led by the Ark of the Covenant, in a sense, led by the Prince of God. And then when they shouted and blew the shofars, the, you know, the walls of Jericho came down and they conquered it. So it represents God's blessing. And the reality is all of us want and all of us need uh, God's blessing. The problem is most people, even um, many non-believers, want God's blessing, but they don't want God. They want God's blessing, but not God's presence. And the reality is, God wants to give us himself. God wants to give us himself. But the the, the ark doesn't only represent God's blessing, which we need, which we desperately need, which we were created for. It also represents God's rule. Because remember what it says about the ark of the covenant. God is enthroned between the cherubim. Above the Ark of the Covenant. That represents the seat of God's rule on earth. And David, as a good leader, he was made king. He was anointed as king. And eventually he became king over Judah, the two tribes of Judah, and, and eventually the Holy Israel. And then he went to the city of David, Jerusalem, to rule from there. But he, as a good leader, wanted, as he ruled, he wanted to point the people of God to the rule of God. And that's just good leadership. How do I, as a leader, through my leadership, point people to God's leadership? And, and you've got to ask, all of us have got to ask ourselves that question at home. How do I, as a parent, through my leadership as a parent, point my children to God's leadership? How do I, at work, in the position that I am and that I lead from, point peop- the people that I lead to God's leadership? And David's answer was, I don't want to sit on the throne in Jerusalem alone. I want to bring God's throne, represented by the Ark of the Covenant. God who is enthroned between the cherubim. I want to bring Him. I want to bring His Ark, representing His rule to Jerusalem as well. So that my rule would be clearly to seem, seem to be subject to God's rule and pointing towards God's rule. So David, as a good Christian leader, or He was a Jew, but a good godly leader who understood this was by that saying, yes, I'm your king, but ultimately I'm only a pointer to the real king. 
to the real king. So God's rule. But, but David also, so he had many sort of corporate. Can we bring the sound down a little bit, Louis? It sounds, to be a, it sounds like there's a bit of a buzz, like it wants to um, feedback. So there were many corporate reasons, the blessing of God upon the people, the rule of God over the people. But there was also a personal, a more personal reason why David wanted the Ark of the Covenant returned to Jerusalem. And that is the, the presence of God. David, let me put it bluntly, lusted after the presence of God. And, and it's impossible to read the Psalms and not pick that up. David was desperate for the presence of God. Remember what he says in Psalm 16 verse 11? In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand pleasures evermore. The very famous psalm, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God, earnestly will I seek you, because I long for your presence. Your, your um, love is better than life. So, so David had a personal reason. He, he, he was desperate for God's presence. And in that, he stands in stark contrast to, a, to the first king of Israel, Saul. Because if you, I'm not going to read it now because it's going to take too long. But if you're going to read First Samuel, First Samuel, yeah, First Samuel seven, verse two, it says that the Ark of the Covenant was at Abinadab's house for twenty years. What happened was, um, the Israelites fought against the Philistines and they lost. So they said, oh, why have we lost? Why has God humiliated us in front of our enemies? Let's go and fetch the Ark of the Covenant. And they sort of had a bit of a, maybe a magical view of the Ark of the Covenant. Because if we have the Ark of the Covenant, then God's presence is with us. And then we'll be victorious. Not considering the fact that they were in sin. You know, and you can't use God as a means to an end. So often we try and do that. How, how, how many people are there who try to use God and His presence as a means to an end? How many even in the church try to use God's presence as a means to an end? Lord, I, I don't want your presence. I actually want what your presence brings more than I want your presence itself. Okay? And God says, no, no, no. But anyway, what happened was they got defeated again. Um, the two sons of Eli, the high priest, who were, who, who were, um, who were the main guys who were in sin, got killed. Eli himself got killed. And the, the Philistines took the, the, the Ark of the Covenant to their country. But then it's very interesting, you know, how God kicked the butt of their God. Um, Dagon, you know, every morning he woke up and Dagon was like on the floor, prostrate before the ark, you know, worshipping God. And <laughs> his arms broke off and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and all kinds of plagues and stuff broke out amongst the, the Philistines. So eventually they said, listen, we don't want this thing. They loaded it on a, on a new cart drawn by a, um, a, a cow who had just given birth. Now, you cannot separate a cow who had just given birth from its calf. But that cow, by its own volition, took off lowing as it went and, and took the road back to Israel. And anyway, the ark ended up in Abinadab's house just inside the border of Israel. And Saul, that was in, in, in 1 Samuel 6. In 1 Samuel 9, Saul is appointed king. And he rules for years and never bothers to bring the ark of the covenant back. And it just shows his ambivalent relationship with God and with God's presence. He had no hunger for God's presence. And you know... Now, many people who don't have hunger for God's presence, even some Christians who don't care to experience God's presence, who don't care about the manifestation of God's presence and, and the gifts, or who don't care about God's presence actually being with us. They, they like Saul, are, are quite happy for God to be at a distance, within the borders of the country, but sort of at the periphery. 
And we are not like that. We should not be like that. David was not like that. David made mistakes, and we're going to look at the mistakes now, but at least he desired the presence of God, and we should as well. We should as well. Okay, so David brings the ark to Jerusalem because he desires God's presence. And look, look what he does. He, he, he has the cart brought on a new cart, drawn by oxen, uh, led by Uzzah and, and Ahio, the two um, sons of Abinadab, of Judah. So they were of Judah, so they were Judahites. They were not Levites. Important to note. They were not from the tribe of Levi. They were not Levites. They were uh, from the tribe of Judah. And with a massive procession, I mean, 30,000 chosen men. That's like a big procession. In other words, D- David isn't taking this lightly. He's, he's putting a lot of effort into this. He's making this like a big thing. Okay, so this is massive to him. You know, he's putting a lot of effort and organization into this. 30,000 men. And it says they were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. I mean, they were dancing before the Lord. They were singing before the Lord. They were shouting before the Lord. They were fervent. I mean, sure. I mean, when it says they were celebrating with all their might, it means they weren't holding back. They were seriously happy and they were seriously celebrating. Okay? And it says with song, and then it mentions the whole band is there. There's like worship team galore, you know, like serious worship team there. And and they're worshiping and going wild. And then the well-meaning user tries to steady the ark when the oxen stumbles and God strikes him dead. Boom. And you can just hear like that. Everything goes quiet. And just imagine that. Everyone's singing, shouting, dancing, going crazy, worshiping God, celebrating. And boom, you know, the guy reaches out, touches the ark, and he falls dead beside the ark. And everyone's like, goes quiet. And maybe some people start screaming and going hysterical. And everyone sort of starts backing away from the ark and like, what's going on here, you know? And um, what, why did it happen? Why did it happen? Why did Yuzah die? Was it just because he was breaking the rules? You see, many people look at this and you see, you see, that's what's wrong with Christianity. That's what's wrong with your God. He's this fickle, grumpy God. You know, and you come too close to him, he kills you. Is, is that it? Is God this, this grumpy, cranky God who just doesn't like people coming too close to him and, and he likes killing people? Is it, is it just like, you know, user was well-meaning, but he broke the rules, you know, God's nitpicking rules, you know, and then he got struck dead. Is that it? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it at, at all. You know, um, God has to teach us about Himself. Because even though we like Him in some senses, He's also very different from us in many ways. And He's got to teach us, and we've got to appro- learn to approach Him for who He really is. See, part of the problem of Yuza is Yuza didn't want to accept who God really was and who God revealed himself to be. And visual aids, like what happens here, disturbing as it might be, is the best way. Visual aids are the best way to teach people who are slow to learn. Okay? And just, you know, Israel was pretty slow to learn. You know? <laughs> I mean, you read the history of Israel, they were very slow to learn. So God had to 
sort of teach them. Because, I mean, it's not just about breaking the rules. David was already breaking the rules when he loaded the Ark of the Covenant onto a a new cart drawn by oxen. That's not the way it was supposed to be transported. And no one got killed there. So it's not just about breaking the rules. Um, God wanted to teach his people something about himself. And, and yet two things that he wants to teach us. Now, I have to go through this very quickly, so um, please excuse me. So often we, we miss the forest of the gospel for the trees of the rules, of the laws. Okay? And, and certainly, you know, Uzzah was breaking the, 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 the laws. In, I'm not going to read it, but in Numbers 4, verse 15, it says, you know, even the Levites who are supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant may not touch it directly. They're supposed to carry it on, on, on the golden poles um, that are through the golden rings attached to the, to the ark. So God was teaching them a certain aspect of, of, the, of the gospel. So two things that God wanted to teach them. Firstly, your sin is more serious than you think. Your sin is more serious than you think. You see, when God was with Moses and them at the, at the Mount Sinai, he said, don't even touch the mountain, you know. I am holy. Don't even touch something I'm touching because you're going to die. Same with the Ark of the Covenant. You know, I'm holy. I'm touching it. I'm, my presence is there. Don't even touch that because you are unholy and I'm holy. And, you know, when fire and water come together, the one has to absorb the other one. When sin and holiness come together, the one has to absorb the other one. They cannot exist together. And what God is trying to tell us, and that's the bad news that precedes the good news, is that our sin is more serious than we think. And some of you might be sitting here and saying, you know, I'm not so sure I believe that because, you know, I'm, I'm not that bad. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm basically a, a decent person. Well, if your sin is more serious than you think, as God is trying to teach us in Scripture, then you would think that. Because your sin would cause you to think that it's not as serious, right? Because your sin's working on your will, on, your, on your, the very, very way you see things. And you want to see yourself in your sinful state as better than you really are. So we should expect that. We should expect ourselves to think, oh, I'm not that bad, if we really are that bad. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being very straight with you. User, and I, there's this one song I heard, this rap, gospel rap song, and the guy in the song says, God is holy, 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 holy is the Lord. And then he talks about user, and it said, uh, the, his problem was that he thought his dirty hands were cleaner than the dusty ground. Oh God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you from coming into contact with a dusty ground which is going to defile you, not realizing that his sinful hands defiles God even more. And God struck him down because he didn't realize how sinful he was. The first message, and this is a hard message but an important message, is that our sin is more serious than we think. That's the first message. The second message is God is not Jerry Maguire. It doesn't say it in so many words, but that's basically... (laughs) Jerry Maguire is a movie in which Tom Cruise plays, and there's this one scene where he's a sports agent for this this guy played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And um, there's this one scene... Where, 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 where the guy says, help me. And then he says, help me help you. <laughs> I don't know, some of you might have seen the movie, but this is classic scene where he says, 
uh, where, where Jerry Maguire says, says to, to his client, help me help you. Well, that's the second thing that this passage teaches us. God is not Jerry Maguire. He doesn't say, help me help you. You've probably heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves. Complete fiction. It's completely wrong. It's not true at all. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And that's the point of this passage. Our sin is so serious, we cannot help ourselves. You see, Yusa was walking there and he thinks, okay, God, I'm going to... I'm going to help you help me. I'm going to help you help us get your presence back. Because by getting your presence back, you're going to help us, but I'm going to help you help us. And there are so many times that we do that with God. As though God is Jerry Maguire. As though he says, help me help you. No, he doesn't. He wants us to be humble and realize that we cannot help him help us. He helps us, but we cannot help him. We cannot help him. And so often in our prophesying, we try and help God. Oh God, you need to speak, so I'm going to help you, you know, speak. Don't. Don't. Don't speak when God has not spoken to you. Don't do that. You're a false prophet. So often in the presence of God, oh Lord, I I must help you, so I'm going to hype up the people. And, you know, us charismatics are notorious for that, you know. You know, let's hype up the people because then he's going to help God uh, uh, allow the people to experience his presence. No, let's not help God. Let God let, let, there's a difference between hype and God's presence, for crying out loud. God is not Jerry Maguire. We, he doesn't ask us to help him help us. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> okay, I'm being a little bit facetious, but okay. So Yusuf's death resulted in anger and fear. David said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? You know, and when we see God's holiness, because that's what's revealed here, is God's holiness. God's presence is not just a loving presence, it's a holy presence, which is a bit scary. We have to ask, like David, Lord, in a sense, I want your presence. I want the blessing that comes with your presence. I want the rule that comes with your presence. I want the protection that comes with your presence. But God, I don't want the death that sometimes seems to come with your presence. God, and and... You know, how can the ark ever come to me? How can God's presence ever safely come into my presence? And David's like, uh, no, let's not take this to my city. Let's obed Edom. You know? <laughs> it's right on the outskirts of Jerusalem, very close to Jerusalem. Let's dump this here. You know, it's, 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 this is not a gift they're giving to obed Edom. I can just imagine obed Edom going, no, 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 please. Not me, not here. You know, it's like they're looking for someone in whose backyard they can dump toxic waste, you know? It's like, no, no, I don't want it here. I say, sorry, we're going to leave it here. If you don't want it, take it yourself. <laughs> you know, that's going to work. Um, but then, here's the point. Then God, because of the presence of his ark, blesses Edom and his entire household for the three months that the ark is there. And God makes sure that David hears about it. Why? Because God wants to show him my presence does bring blessing. My presence is good for you. You do need my presence. Yes, you need to respect my presence. It's holy. And, and you were trying to do the right thing, but in the wrong way. That's the problem. It's not what you were doing that was wrong. You were trying to do the right thing, but in the wrong way. You know, and, um, so often we get angry at God or f- afraid of God because of situations like this. You know, and it's like 
you know, the moth flying into the flame. You see the flame, it's beautiful, and the little moth flaps into the flame, and then, you know, and the flame consumes it. Does it make the flame evil for consuming the moth? No. No. The flame is just being itself. If I jump in my car and drive at 120 kilometers an hour into a stone wall or a brick wall and I die, does that make the wall evil? No, the wall is just being itself. I shouldn't drive into it. If I make a big bonfire and jump into it and get burned to a crisp, does that make the fire evil? No, the fire is just being itself. You see, the problem with you and the problem with us is that so often we don't accept God for who He just is. He is holy. We must respect that. But how do you solve the problem that His holiness you know, is dangerous to us in our unholiness? And the answer, I'm going to try and do this very quickly, um, is, is in the passage. So, so God blessed Obed-Edom and made David hear about it. And um, the lesson here is that we need to return God's presence God's way, not the world's way. If you're going to read 1 Samuel, we're in 2 Samuel 6 now, but if you're going to read 1 Samuel 6 verse 7, you'll see that it was exactly on a wooden, a new wooden cart drawn by oxen that the Philistines tried to send the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. And so often we as the church are tempted to do the right thing, desire the presence of God, bring back the presence of God, but in the world's way. In the world's way. And, and, and it, that doesn't work. It's not acceptable. Um, in other words, um, at, at one stage it says, if you want to read the more, more, more full picture of it, go and read 1 Chronicles 13 to, to, to 15. But it says that those who bore the ark, or, or who carried the ark, um, and that were the Levites. If you go and read 1 Chronicles, you see it's the Levites. So David, in, in you know, in between, in those three months, he realized, ah, I wanted the presence of God, the Spirit of God, but I didn't want to do it according to the Word of God. That was my mistake. And that's why I'm so big on the Word and the Spirit. As a church, we, we're not just a spirit church, and we're not just a Word church. You get so many spirit churches who you know, go crazy in the Spirit, but they don't take the Word seriously and, or just pay lip service to the Word, and that's not right. And you get so many words, you know, churches that are like, all stiff and proper and dry and dour and there's nothing happening either. But we're not like that here. We're word and spirit church because of this. And David, when he got it right, it was the word and the spirit. The presence of God according to the way of the word, not the way of the world. Not with a, uh, with a, with a new car drawn by oxen, but carried by the Levites as it should be. Um, and Notice here that when the Levites carried the ark, they carried it with four gold rings, one on each corner, and then there were gold poles, you know, wooden poles overlaid by, by gold, you know, through the rings, and then the Levites were the only ones who carried it. So the Levites were intermediaries, they, they were priestly, you know, the priests were from the tribe of Levi. So they were, they were mediators. But even the mediators, the Levites, could only have contact with the ark through mediators, the the golden pole and the, the rings. Even the mediators need mediators. And Uzzah, when he skipped the mediators and touched the Ark of the Covenant directly, he died. But even the priests 
touch it only indirectly. And David, when he's dancing before the ark, what's he doing? He's wearing a linen ephod. That was a priestly garment. If you go and read 1, 1 Samuel 2 verse 18, that's what, for instance, Samuel wore when he was being raised by Eli in the, in the, in the temple. A priestly ephod. So, so here's the message. The message is that the presence of God, represented by the ark of the covenant, can only be brought back by someone like David, who's a king. He's the king of Israel. He's wearing an ephod, so he's a priest. And he wrote many of the Psalms, so he's a prophet. Someone who's a king, a priest, and a prophet. And that points to, ultimately, to the son of David, Jesus, who, like Uzzah, reached out as a man and touched directly the presence of God. And he also died. But he died so that we could live. He died, and it's represented here by the sacrifices. They walked six paces. Now, six is the number of man, the number of incompletion. It's just one short of seven. And it's like saying the whole nine yards, that American saying. Ten yards is like a, a down, you know. Nine yards is just not enough. You know, six steps is just like, just not enough. So six is the number of man, and seven is the number of the spirit. And every six steps, they sacrificed. Now, when you went into the tabernacle or the temple, you, before you got to the Ark of the Covenant, right in front of you was a massive altar. You had to sacrifice to come into God's presence. Blood had to be shed to come into God's presence. And Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. His blood was shed so that we can come safely come into God's presence. And then if you went into the holy place, just before you went into the Holy of Holies, right in front of the curtain there was um, a, a like, sacrifice of incense. And then there was also a chandelier called a menorah, which had seven flames. Seven, the number of the Spirit. So six was just one short of seven. And through the Spirit, through His one sacrifice, He made us the Ark of the Covenant, the people of God. We are now the bearers of God's presence. And like David, when we get the gospel, I mean, he only saw it through a glass darkly. And, and, and you see it when he says later on, I didn't actually read that, but he says later on when he talks to Michal at the end of this chapter, he says, God has chosen me, not your father's house. God has chosen me. And when he realized that it's all by grace, he was chosen. Not because he was so special, but because he was chosen. It's by grace. What did it cause him to do? To dance wildly in front of the Ark of the Covenant, in front of the presence of God as it was coming back. Celebrating it because he understood that now I can safely enjoy God's presence because the right things are in place. So let's stand. There are some of us who, like Uzzah and David, are longing for the presence of God, but we are neglecting to approach the presence of God according to the Word of God. We're not bringing the necessary sacrifices. And ultimately, there's only one sacrifice, and that's Jesus. And we need to do that. If you want to experience the presence of God, you've got to do it God's way, not the world's way. We have got to do it God's way, not the world's way. Um, and God is, like we heard, He's bringing the rain. We're praying for rain. And and. We're experiencing more of God's presence. His presence is always with us and always amongst us, but He's allowing us to experience more of it. But we've got to do it His way, not the world's way, not on a, a, a new car drawn by oxen.
but the way God intended it to be. And then also, there are some who, like David, after Uzzah died, your response to God's presence is, is, is anger and fear. God, why are you like this? And you're angry with God, or you're afraid of God. And God is saying, that's not necessary. I have made a way. And if you just understand wh- why it happened, those things that you're angry at me about, you will see that it was right. And, and the, the, the main reason why we become angry at God is because we don't want Him to be God. We actually want to be God. We, want, we don't want to do things His way. We want Him to do things our way. That's why we become angry at Him. And what we need to do is we need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. You are God and I'm not. You don't have to do things my way. I have to do things your way. And I will. And God's way, in any case, is better for us. If you, like David, end up repenting and doing things God's way, you will, like David, end up dancing wildly with joy in the presence of God because you'll, you'll experience that God's way is the right way, the best way. So I just want you to close your eyes and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us in a moment. But I just want you to respond to this word. And I know the Holy Spirit is, is, has laid something on your heart. He's spoken something to your heart. And I just want you to, just in your own words, pray and respond to that and say, God, And then I also just want to ask, um, if you have a longing for God's presence, you know, maybe you were sort of checking out Christianity and maybe a little angry and, and you were, you know, one of the people who would typically say, see, that's what's wrong with Christianity, that fickle God. But maybe God has this morning revealed to yourself that he's, he's not fickle, he's not grumpy, he's not cranky. It's not like he doesn't want us to come near to him. He actually does want us to come near to him. He wants to be near to us more than we want to be near to him. But he wants us to do it in a safe way. He first wants us to change us to be holy like him. And, and maybe you try to get to slip into the Holy of Holies, the presence, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, without first going through the altar where the sacrifice is made. And, 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 and maybe you realize this morning God is showing you that that he's holy, he's good. And, he's, and I just want to say this, you know, we find in scriptures like these, God's holiness a bit scary, but God's holiness is good for us. If he were not holy, he couldn't save us. If he did not hate sin, he could not save us from sin. If he did not destroy sin, his presence did not destroy sin, he would not be able to destroy the sin that is in us, that keeps us captive and that destroys us. His holiness is good for us. We need it. We desperately need it. We need it as much as we need his love. But we need to go through the altar. Otherwise, we cannot safely come into his holy presence. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, okay, now I understand. God is not just a grumpy cranky God. He's a holy God and I need to approach, I want to approach him but I want to do it the right way. I want to come through Jesus. I want to come through his sacrifice. I want to come by his grace. If that's you this morning and you want to do that and God is laying on your heart to do that, just, just put up your hand and say, that's me. God, I, I need you to save me. Jesus, I thank you that your sacrifice was for me also. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else 
says, that's for me. There might be a bit of a battle going on in your heart. You might be afraid and say, you know, what are people going to think? You know, that when David danced before the Lord, yes, some people despised him. Michal, his own wife, despised him. But he didn't care. Because I'm telling you, when you've experienced the presence of God, you won't care what people think. Because it's so much better. What God thinks is so much more important than what people think. Thank you for those hands. Anyone else that says, that's me, I need to respond. I need to come to a holy God through Jesus Christ, the King, the Priest, the Prophet. Anyone else says, I need to respond? Just put up your hand quickly. Okay, can those who put up their hands just come forward? Just bring your, your handbag or your Bible and come uh, come forward. If you need to, if you want to drag someone with you, a friend who's next to you, then just uh, come Come forward. Just come and stand here in the front because I want to pray with you myself. Just, just step out and come forward. Just come and stand over here on this side. Just come and stand over here. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your courage. And uh, just come and stand here in front. going to trust God together that you'll really experience his presence and I want you to focus on him not on me (laughs) I cannot save you no one else here can save you except Jesus only so just close your eyes and I want you to just say to God God like like you I'm a sinner And, and maybe in the past I've been trying to help you help me but I'm going to stop that now I just need you to save me Just say, God, please save me. Just in your own words. Save me from my sin. Save me from myself. Save me from my addictions. And then I just want you to pray and just say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for taking my place. I should have died in the presence of God. But you died in my place. Thank you, Jesus. I believe in you. I belong to you. Just in your own words. I just want to thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers and that you save us of everything that we cannot save ourselves from. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your presence, not only with us, but in us. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and you sat down at the right hand of the Father and you poured out your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you're cleansing empowering Holy Spirit will come upon these people now in Jesus' name and that you'll change them from the inside out, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll just come and bubble up inside of them and overflow their hearts and minds and bodies like a fountain of living water cleansing from the inside 
changing from the inside. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll just come, Lord, as the covenant presence of God and make them, as it were, the new ark of your presence. We just bless them with your presence. Thank you that your blood cleanses and that your presence fills them. In Jesus' name. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for self, that you are able to save those who trust in you to the uttermost. You, Jesus, are the only one who can do that. Come and do that for them in Jesus' name. Thank you that you... I just feel that God wants you to, to pray this morning. He's going to hear your prayers. And there are people behind you and they're going to pray with you. But... Um, Just bring your needs before the Lord and anything that you need to pray for. And and God is going to answer your prayers. He's going to hear your prayers. Okay, so take a couple of minutes and pray. And then for the rest of us, I just want to encourage you. Let's, Let's, like David, desire God's presence. The presence of His Spirit. But let's come into His presence and, and, and desire to see His presence manifest His way. Not the world's way. Not the way of the world, but the way of His Word. Amen. I'm, I'm going to just pray for that, that we'll be that kind of a community. Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that we'll be a community of the Word and the Spirit. That we'll be a community that experiences your presence in your way, according to your Word. Lord, we we, we thank you for your presence that is here, Lord. That that you are here to, to heal, that you are here to save, that you are here to speak, that you are here to comfort, Lord. That you are here to strengthen and empower, Lord. Lord, we love your presence, Lord. And we pray that more and more we will experience your presence. Not only that we will experience your presence, but that everyone who comes into our midst will experience your presence and say, wow, God is really amongst you. Lord, please break down any fear, any anger, any misconceptions that are inside of us, any obstacles and blockages that are preventing us from experiencing you the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the constant fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with each of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com